Thanks for tuning in to Charlottesville Soundboard. I'm your host, Mary Garner McGee. Soundboard airs every other Saturday at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM and also comes to you as a podcast that belongs to the Virginia Audio Collective. So we decided we were going to do an episode on inflation and how much things cost here in town because everything seems a little bit more expensive these days, especially gas. <laughs> we're passing by another Exxon station that also has 4.89 as the price. Gas is one of the things we notice, you know, housing prices is something that we talk about all the time in Charlottesville nationwide. Housing prices have gone up like crazy. Rents have been going up, too. And we're definitely seeing that here. But we kind of decided to focus a little bit on food for this episode. You know, food is something that everybody has to buy. There's some variation in, you know, what different people purchase. But there's a lot of things that, like, we all buy pretty regularly. Bread, eggs, milk, chicken, you know, basic stuff like that. There's so many grocery stores here, too. You know, like, we've got... A bunch of Kroger's, we've got Harris Teeter, local grocery store Reed's. And then there's also a lot of people in town that don't go buy all of their groceries or they have a lot of limitations or like extra things they have to think about when getting food, you know, whether it's because they're using food stamps and that limits what you can buy. Or maybe they're supplementing their food with stuff from a food bank So in this episode, I thought maybe we could sit down and and kind of talk about some of the research y'all did about nationwide trends in inflation and how those are kind of borne out here. We don't have good longitudinal data for how much prices have risen in the Charlottesville area, but we thought it might be interesting to look at how much some of these commodities do cost here, especially like across different grocery stores, just to kind of get like a snapshot of how much people are spending on really essential food stuff. Kind of trying to answer the question, like, is food more expensive in Charlottesville than it is nationwide or even in Virginia? And if so, like, why is that? I asked our team of production assistants here at WTJU to go out in the field and experience what it's like to grocery shop in Charlottesville at various stores across town. After their research was complete, I sat down with Omega Ilovich, Sadie Randall, Ashley Park, and Paige Waterhouse to unpack their findings. I want to just kind of start by um, what is inflation and, and how is it related to food? Inflation generally is an increase in the prices of goods and services in the economy. And uh, inflation does happen naturally over time. Like, of course, things cost more than they did uh, 10 years ago, especially like 50 years ago. So it does happen naturally over time, but it can also happen very rapidly as a response to a variety of factors that come from the market. We've seen it a lot lately because of COVID-19. We've seen it just in the past couple of years. And then as of recently, like supply chain complications due to the conflicts happening over in Europe and then also the things going on with Russia, it has inflicted some sort of increase in prices that we're seeing here. I think also one thing that gets kind of lost in the inflation conversation is that like wages have gone up so much, which is really great news like for a lot of people. Um, And that's part of the inflation conversation, too. Like the cost of labor is growing up, which is going to make everything increase in price some. And so, you know, one of the debates that I've been hearing a lot in like the national inflation conversation is, you know, are things for 
most Americans outpacing their growth in income, which is something, you know, economists are, are still looking into. So let's talk about the consumer price index. So when we're, we're going to look at how much things cost here, talk a little bit about how prices are going up and stuff like that. But the way that we get that data nationally and we measure it as the consumer price index. So what is the consumer price index? So the consumer price index is the measure of like the average change over time of prices for a select amount of goods that a lot of urban households rely on. So that can be anything from food to apparel to appliances. Um, it also covers things like gas, electricity, so we looked at the Consumer Price Index reports that just came out a couple days ago for the month of May. And the food index specifically increased by 1.2 percent just in May. And that is a 0.9 increase from April to May. So just in a month, we've almost had a full 1 percent increase. We're, we're pulling all these numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is under the Department of Labor, which is a government agency, and one of their main jobs is to research, track all this data, and publish it. So you can find all of these numbers um, on their website, bls.gov. Yeah, all these resources are very accessible. You can break it down by category, really get into the nitty-gritty. There isn't specific data relating to the Charlottesville area because like the National Consumer Price Index can't break it down by city. But for the Washington, Arlington, Alexandria area, which is kind of, you know, the Virginia area that we are in, it increased by 1.5% just in the last two months. Outpacing the nation just by a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, just outpacing it just a little bit. So just from March to May, which is pretty significant. The Consumer Price Index saw a 8.6 percentage rate increase in all items, so that's all categories, that's food, apparel, appliances, household goods, like all the things that urban consumers purchase, there was an 8.6 increase. And then just in food alone, there was a 10.1% increase. And that is just over the last year. So, so we're 10% comparing- increase in the past year. In the past for year. For food. For food. Wow. That's, that's very significant. Yeah. That's May 2021 to May 2022. And just in the last month, April to May, there was a 1.1% increase in just food. Wild. And the consumer price index, too, is is weighted, right? So things that are a larger percentage of most people's budget constitute a higher percentage of the consumer price index. So stuff like housing and gas prices, you know, we're talking about those a lot because they're a huge part of a lot of people's budgets. And an interesting kind of fact is that actually the percentage of the average American's budget, which goes to like food and nutrition, has actually been declining over the past hundred years. So even though on the whole it's been going down, like, you know, it's still a pretty significant part of people's budgets. Just to start us off on how we chose the commodities that we did. So we looked at the consumer price index and then some available data on the national prices for some of those big name items. And those included bread, that is white bread per pound, chicken, which is a whole chicken per price per pound, eggs, grade A per dozen, and then milk, fresh and whole and fortified per gallon. Didn't necessarily look at produce, although we did go through stores and like comment on the different produce 
cost because that varies so much by location. You can't really get a national average price on produce because it really depends on where you live. So we mainly looked at these standard items that are pretty consistent across the board. And we started at Reed's. Okay, so immediately when we walk in, there's bananas and apples. Um, if you go about five steps into the store, the produce ends, but there seems to be a little bit of everything and it's very clearly labeled. Reeds is in a food desert. More of a food apartheid, it's like a new like term that's like coming up. So the term is used to highlight the racially discriminatory political structures that past and present impact food access and control. So it's mainly a term used to show how a food desert isn't correct to state because this was in a predominantly like black area that was like a five minute five to ten minute walk down the street you get dairy market and then like 15 minutes up the road you get the downtown mall and you have like all these like businesses that are popping up near it but that's the only grocery store right there there's one bus stop right in front of it i will admit every grocery store that we went to was located next to a bus stop however this one was most accessible by a bus stop yeah, and so Reed's is located on Preston Avenue, like right across from the Bodos on Preston Avenue, and pretty close to 10th and Page, Rose Hill, closest grocery store to downtown for sure. All those neighborhoods around that area, this is like the only grocery store you could access easily on foot or by bike. And it's very unique compared to the other stores that we went to because it's locally owned. The other stores we'll be talking about are larger chains, national chains. All right, so how much do things cost at Reed's? Oven fresh white bread is $159. Here's the chicken. Okay, so a whole chicken. $2.99 per pound Okay, is a whole chicken. We have eggs that are extra large for $2.79 for a dozen. Um, there's large eggs for $2.69 for a dozen. And then jumbo eggs for $2.89 for a dozen. For a locally owned grocery store, Reed's prices were just about on the nose with the national average. Next, we checked out Wegmans. Wegmans, yeah, Wegmans is a is a chain grocery store, but I think it, it really tries to set itself apart from other chain grocery stores and try to be more of a specialty store. Um, section in Wegmans, I don't know how much of it is actually local or not, but it's huge. It's literally like probably the largest produce section in any of the grocery stores I visit. It's so, it's like a maze. So yeah. Reed didn't have organic bananas. Yeah, they here. didn't have the 49 cent bananas. Wegmans brand reduced fat 2%, 1%, fat free, D milk, vitamin D milk. Right, okay, so this is the difference here. Wegmans has like almost all of their own branded milk, so like Wegmans branded milk. And then we have one thing of pet gallon-sized milk that we saw at Reed's, but that was all the milk that they had, you know? Yeah. So there's a clear difference in preference. But the, the gallon-sized pet is like 4.19 here, whereas all the Wegmans, this is what they're trying to do. The pet is right smack dab in the middle of all of the Wegmans branded milk, and the Wegmans branded milk is like a dollar lower. So we're seeing a lot of 369, 363, 329, 379. And then a Wegmans whole chicken is 
2.19 per pound, and this one's only 7.34 for a full chicken. So there's a difference in size, obviously, considerably, between organic and regular, but the price is the most significant difference. Yeah. 2.19 to 3.39, that's a lot. But nature's own loaf of white bread is 3.29 per pound. Mm-hmm. They seem to be almost out of whole grain white bread here. Yeah, there's one left on the shelf. And it's 3.29. Um, that's the Wegmans uh, brand, their house brand. One thing that really stands out to me when I've been to Wegmans is that it has such a huge parking lot. Like, it's a big grocery store, but huge, huge parking lot. And I think that really speaks to the fact that, like, they're catering to people who are going to bring a car and, and fill up on stuff. And um, also located to some pretty affluent areas. Um, Wegmans also is on the east side of town. And I've mentioned on the show a couple times that I'm from Fluvanna County, and which is east, southeast of Charlottesville. And I know a decent number of people who have adjusted their grocery shopping patterns because Wegmans is now on their way out of town. And a lot of people who are moving east, southeast, into further parts of Albemarle, into Nelson, Green, Fluvanna, Louisa, like all these surrounding counties as Again, everything is related. Housing prices are going up really rapidly in Charlottesville and Albemarle. So the fact that Wegmans is not only like in a car-centric area near a lot of housing developments and a very suburban area, but also on the southeast side of town where there's a lot of people commuting through that intersection every day to get back and forth to work. And then before we move away from Wegmans, too, I also want to point out that um, – Wegmans has been expanding southward pretty rapidly, like it started up in the north, and there's currently some ongoing litigation in the Richmond area. Wegmans is building a large distribution site in an area where um, there are known graveyards of enslaved people, and it's in an area in Hanover County called Brown Grove. And the Hanover County NAACP has been fighting this distribution center in court and trying to make sure there's um, the needed, you know, archaeological preservation, like respect for that area. So you can find out more about that at the Hanover NAACP. Wegmans is participating in a much larger pattern of places building on sites that haven't had the historical appreciation and research notice that they deserve. Please remember to take your receipt. Thank you for shopping at Wegmans. Let's talk about Food Lion. Food Lion. Yeah, like, because you were talking about, like, um, how accessible Wegmans is. Like, I um, used to live off the end of JPA, and my friend walked 30 minutes to Food Lion. That is not a um, leisure walk. It is very hilly. It's, like, 94 degrees today, too. And, like, the fact that Wegmans, like, to go from Wegmans to Food Lions is maybe a two-minute drive. However, it is a large hill to walk up. So for someone to, like, have to decide, do I want to go to Wegmans? No, I'm not walking up the hill. So they have to go to Food Lion. And when we went to Food Lion, compared to Wegmans, the produce section was not completely filled. There is a very clear, like, lack of produce because there's a lot of empty spaces amongst the apples, bananas, onions, and... Um, tomatoes for $2.99. Yeah. 
So y'all went to the Food Lion that's right across Fifth Street from Wegmans. And the Food Lion shopping center has been here a lot longer than the Wegmans one, which has only been here a few years. And there's a few other Food Lions in town. There's one on Pantops and there's some in, there's a few in Albemarle County as well. I'm actually, oh wow, guys, let's look at this. So on this price tag compared to other stores, they give you the unit price and then the retail price. So actually, Wonder Bread would cost two fifteen per pound as a unit price, and it's two sixty nine here. Foodline whole milk fortified vitamin D is gonna be four nineteen for a gallon. For a gallon, and then it's cheaper for uh, reduced fat is four oh nine, and then no fat is three twenty nine. Purdue, no antibiotics, whole roasted chicken is going to be $1.99 a pound. This one is $13.29 as a whole. And the Food Lion Young Chicken is $1.19 a pound. So that's their, their own brand. The placing is like different. They have all the organic, like clear plastic eggs right in your face. And then all of the like cardboardy, styrofoamy eggs that are like Food Lion brand or whatever on the bottom. But So yes. Well, we do have the 18 pallet of large white plain eggs from Food Lion for $2.59. Um, and then comparably to Pete Jerry's, which we saw at Reed's 2, um, $5.99 here. I think it was the same price there. Food Lion's prices on store brand items were under the national average for items like chicken, milk, eggs, and bread. The last stop for the team was Kroger. Yeah, so which Kroger did you go to? The one on 29. There's two Krogers on 29. Yes. yes. So did you go to the one at Barracks Road or the one that we call the Kroger in the hole? The Kroger in the in hole. The, yeah, it's, it's in like a big divot. the gas station Kroger. Yeah. Yes, the gas station to. Kroger. Totally. <laughs> okay, so, so you went to that Kroger, which is, um, I live near that area, and I'll say, like, I see a ton of people walking back and forth to that Kroger. It, it is actually pretty close to a, a lot of housing. And again, we've been talking about accessibility with each of these. And when you cross 29 at Angus Road, I see a lot of there's a bus stop near there. And I see a lot of people crossing there. And the light is only designed for you to cross three lanes of traffic instead of six, like the walk light. And so all the time I see people, you know, who have kids or and you know like their cart of groceries and a bunch of bags and stuff or people with accessibility challenges like trying to cross all six lanes of traffic in a light that's only designed for you to cross three it's really scary I mean it's good that the grocery store is close enough that people can walk but we need to make sure all of the other infrastructure is supportive of that so what was that Kroger like Oh, we're not going to I'm just going to get, like, one thing. Oh, yeah. Um, bananas are, once again, 49 cents a pound. How similar was it to the Food Lion? When I think about them together, I feel like the spaces in produce, the gaps that we saw in produce in Food Lion was similar to the ones we saw in Kroger. The biggest difference was that Kroger was significantly cheaper. It was the cheapest out of all the grocery stores that we visited. Um, but that was with the benefit of the Kroger card, which Omega mentioned. Or buy one, get one free. Yeah, definitely lots of sales. Um, although, once again, you do have to get the card. But they are free. So <laughs> it just takes a little bit of your time, I guess. The classic white bread is $1.59, $1.59 but on sale for 134 
Interesting. And that's classic white. And then it seems like there's sales overall because the honey wheat is also $134. Free range chicken is $2.99 a pound. This one is $11.81 total. I feel like $2.99 is consistent for organic. The price for the Purdue whole chicken is um, $1.79 a pound. Cheaper for lower fat milks, so 2% is $3.29. Yeah, this one feels pretty low because it's $2.99 for the skim. And then whole milk up here is $3.69. The other prices we were seeing were, were, were four, four something. And then uh, low threes for the skim milks. So this is definitely lower. There's a sale going on with Eglin's Best Grade A Large Eggs for $2.99. And yeah. CBI for eggs is actually the biggest increase that we saw mm -hmm. in the standard items we were looking at. There was a 32.2% increase in just the last year Whoa. on eggs alone. Hold on, 32 <laughs> Oh my god! 32 from May 2021 to May 2022. And then within the last month, from April to May, there was a whole 5% increase just in eggs alone. So we've talked a lot about price differences, accessibility, and the supply shortages we've noticed in our grocery stores. Now let's take a quick look at how Charlottesville prices compare overall to the national average for essentials. The national prices for bread in May of 2022, bread was around $1.61 for your average loaf of white classic bread, which is lower than the prices we were seeing yeah. in Charlottesville. I was going to say, some of, some of our prices we saw are matching these numbers, but bread, weirdly enough, we were seeing higher, near to $2. Um, and then at the stores where they were missing the generic products, the cheapest options, um, it would get up to like 4 or $5 um, just because of the lack of the cheaper options. And then chicken, chicken fresh whole, and this is per pound, was 182 for the month of May. I feel like our... I feel like per it's pound... close to $2. Mm, see, the thing with chicken... What, which, which, which cut is it talking about there? Does it say no? Is it talking about whole? Whole chicken. Okay, then then we probably did see pretty close. Okay. Those are yeah, I would say the chicken prices were pretty comparable um, to one eighty two per pound. If you were looking at the regular brand, whole chicken, whole chicken, mm -hmm. organic was a different story. Yeah, <laughs> and different cuts were a different story. And different cuts were a different story for sure. And then eggs, we saw two eighty six for a dozen nationally. Oh, then that means like Charlottesville is actually underneath the national average because. I think most of them started like a little above like two fifty for a dozen of eggs. And then milk we saw for four twenty a gallon, which is more than we saw for for whole milk that would that we saw four twenty. So for milk we would see lowest prices for skim milk that we saw could were about four dollars or just under, and then it would go up um, for each percentage, and then whole milk um, ran about four four dollars twenty cents. Okay, so about on the nose there with the national yeah. average. So it sounds like food prices on the whole in Charlottesville are, are pretty on par with what's going on nationally, if not even a little bit lower. But, um, you know, as we were talking about, like, there's a lot of other other challenges people face in, in getting their groceries. And on the whole, prices are rising. They're rising here, too. They're rising quickly, um, especially on some of these really essential goods like like eggs. 
Once again, that was Paige Waterhouse, Ashley Park, Sadie Randall, and Omega Ilovich. You're listening to Charlottesville Soundboard here on WTJU 91.1 FM and the Virginia Audio Collective. Both are a service of the University of Virginia. However, opinions expressed on this show are not the positions of the university. WTJU is supported by the Southern Environmental Law Center. The Changing Coast, a new interactive website by SELC, explores the impacts of climate change along our coast. Learn more at thechangingcoast.org. Thanks for staying tuned. Now we'll turn to Joe Kreider from the Blue Ridge Food Bank, who shared some insight on how these rising prices are affecting food acquisition and distribution for organizations that work to ensure that community nutritional needs are met, especially during tough economic times. So my name is Joe Kreider. I'm the Partner Engagement Manager for the Thomas Jefferson region at the Blue Ridge Area Food Bank. The Blue Ridge Area Food Bank is our local, regional, Feeding America-affiliated food bank. We cover a 25-county service area here in Central Virginia, kind of on both sides of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of your typical clients? Yeah. Really, there is no one typical person who's coming and accessing food at a food pantry or directly from the food bank. We see a whole range of folks uh, ranging from you know, seniors who are living on their own on a fixed income to working families, you know, sometimes with one parent, sometimes with both parents. Um, a lot of folks who have been working, but maybe recently lost a job or are working multiple jobs, but it still just doesn't quite make ends meet. There are a lot of different situations that people find themselves in where they are looking for food assistance. In particular, you know, one group that we've been thinking a lot about in the last few years, and then especially through the pandemic too, is our recent immigrant population, for instance, folks from Latin America and other areas in Charlottesville, we have the IRC here. So a lot of different refugee populations coming in, but also a lot of, you know, your kind of standard middle-class folks who uh, just now find that, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, they aren't able to get all the food that they need to get through the week or month or, you know, what have you. So there's really a whole range of people who come. How does your organization obtain its food supply? Yeah, so we obtain food from a variety of different sources. A lot of our food comes from the government, from the USDA, but we also purchase our own food to supplement what we receive from USDA as well as what we receive from donations. And then we also have uh, corporate partnerships with, you know, a lot of you know, large food producers, um, as well as farmers and growers who will donate their products to us. So we get it from a lot of different places. And what products tend to be the most in demand? You know, one thing that I think cuts across all kinds of, you know, differences, whether you're talking about class or race or national origin or what have you, people are really looking for that fresh food. They're looking for fresh produce, vegetables, and fruit. They're looking for protein too, um, especially so meat, things like that. But really, it's all the fresh stuff. And what I like to tell people is, think about what you like to eat, um, you know, what you're usually serving to your family on any given night. And that's the kind of food that we want to have at the food bank and at our pantry partners. You know, that's the kind of stuff that people are looking for, not just whatever's been hanging out in your cupboard that you haven't gotten to over the last year. You know, they want the stuff that you want. What have food insecurity trends looked like in Charlottesville in the past couple of years? 
You know, I'd say it's been really up and down. The whole pandemic period is kind of what I'm thinking of. But we go as far back as even, you know, the Great Recession back in kind of 2008, that time period, there was an explosion really in, in terms of the amount of need um, here in Charlottesville and, of course, you know, around the country. So the levels of folks who were coming to access food bank services was much higher at that point than it had been previously. And it kind of leveled off, you know, it stopped increasing kind of exponentially, but it never really went all the way back down to where it was before 2008. So speed up to 2020, and you still have people who are recovering from that period, and then COVID happens. And so initially there was a huge spike in need. But then what happened was, you know, the government stepped in and there were a lot of benefits. There was a lot of assistance that was given out, the stimulus checks, et cetera, the child tax credit that um, really did help to actually bring some of those numbers back down um, because people were getting supported in that way. And then as those benefits have kind of timed out, um, have not been extended, need goes up. And then now, you know, with inflation and who knows what else is kind of in store for us in terms of what's happening with the economy. But frankly, the outlook does not look very good. You know, we are expecting that, you know, need will start to climb again. We've already begun to see it um, in a lot of our pantries and really don't know what the future holds. Yeah. Something else I'm a little bit curious about is the kinds of foods that people are eating and purchasing and seeking after are changing. And can you speak a little bit more to the types of food that respond to these trends? When food banking began, and this was really back in, you know, around like the 80s, the idea was that these programs existed to kind of fill a gap for people, you know, who just kind of need to bridge from the last couple weeks of the month before they get that paycheck, whatever the case may be. And so it, it was just a supplement. And when we were thinking about the food we were providing in that way, what really felt important to us was just getting the very, very basic needs met of folks need calories, let's get some calories to them, you know, and, and we can kind of distribute out whatever food that we're receiving to fill that need. As time has gone on, what we found is that food bank programs and other uh, forms of assistance really aren't just that kind of occasional supplement for a growing share of people. It is, you know, a majority of the food that they're bringing in to their household. So when that's the case where the food that we are providing is a larger amount of the food that people are eating, our responsibility really shifts to provide not just calories, you know, but all of the kind of uh, nutritious foods that people need, foods that people like and, that, and foods that people want to be eating. So we've really begun to emphasize over, you know, the course of several years now, bringing in more of those nutritious items, bringing in more of the produce, like I mentioned. And the other piece is, like I mentioned before, with, you know, more, uh, you know, immigrants and refugees kind of in our area, you know, what we're finding is we really need to have food that folks from those populations want to eat, are familiar with. So we've really been moving into thinking about nutrition and then also just the cultural piece of, of what people are looking for. From your perspective, what is inflation and how does it relate to the work that you're doing right now? So inflation, I guess, for just our purposes or the way that you know it comes up in, in my work is really just when the cost of everyday items, necessities is going up. What we're experiencing right now are very dramatic, um, sudden shifts. And you know it seems like week over week prices of food, especially, but also gas. And there's a relationship between you know those two. It, it's just getting higher and, and higher. 
In terms of how it you know, really impacts our work, of course, as food prices are going up and people are able to afford less, of course, that means that folks who maybe have never had to rely on a food pantry, like I was saying before, are now lining up and, and coming through the doors. Folks who have been clients or guests at our pantries for a really long time are seeing their own needs increasing, so maybe they're coming more frequently. But then on the other side of that, with the gas prices that are going up, you know, people who don't have a lot of money to spare are finding that just the cost of transportation to get to a food pantry is something that might be out of reach for them. And so we're seeing folks kind of doubling up, more proxy pickups, people picking up for their neighbors or other family members, and an increasing need for delivery and other distribution models that gets food closer to where people are so that they don't have to come so far to, to pick up from any one of our locations. You've been mentioning how the increasing food prices have affected mostly the community members you serve. Has it also been affecting your own organization's food acquisition? We feel the effects immediately um, as well, both personally, you know, of course, you know, my grocery bills are going up just like everyone else's. But as an organization, like I mentioned before, we do purchase a lot of the food that we distribute to supplement, you know, what we're getting from other sources and to make sure that especially those kind of staple items that people are, are relying on, things like your canned vegetables and pasta, et cetera, to make sure that we always have that in stock. So now our food sourcing team, because of the prices, are having to get a little bit creative about what food they're bringing in and, and where they're sourcing that food and whether or not there are any kind of discounts or deals that we can get. We work with our partners on that end of things. But, you know, I will say that, you know, our team has been really effective throughout this whole COVID period and kind of pivoting and, and dealing with those situations as certain items become unavailable or become more expensive. And we have been really fortunate, too, that We've received a lot of support from the community. We're receiving a lot of donations, doing um, you know pretty well on on that end. But of course, you know we can always use more help to you know get um, the items that people really need. So um, yeah, so I mean it just emphasizes the importance of everything that we do on the fundraising end of things, um, as well as kind of the creativity and the nimbleness of our food sourcing team. Specific to Charlottesville, from what you've experienced, how would someone navigate the challenges that come with the recent food insecurity trends that you've noticed? And do you have any recommendations or anything helpful to say to people that might be experiencing these things? We're kind of in a fortunate situation in that there actually are a lot of pantries here in town, folks who are partners of the food bank, and then even folks who are just kind of going and doing doing it on their own. So I would definitely look around to try to find what of those resources are available uh, for you and like best match your situation. Some pantries are, you know, very limited in terms of their hours that they're open and available, while others have a lot more kind of opportunity. So that's one thing to look at. But generally, you know, the thing that I would say is before you can even get to that point of looking up, you know, where the food pantries are and going there and getting the food, there's kind of this hurdle that people kind of have to jump over, which is really more psychological and cultural than anything else. There's the stigma around accessing a food pantry, you know, not wanting to go because you believe that it's shameful maybe to have to get some help every once in a while. In different communities, there's fear, there's concerns about if I go to this pantry, will my information be put out there? And could that impact, you know, my other benefits that I'm receiving? Or if I'm concerned about my immigration status, is that going to, you know, potentially create a problem for me? And then, of course, there are the folks who just say, well, my situation is bad, 
but other people have it worse. So I'm going to leave that food out there for other people. And what I would say to you know anybody who's in any of those camps is, first of all, we have the food. It's abundant. You know, like I said before, we've been very fortunate in that we've had a lot of support from the community. So we still have a lot of food <laughs> to get out there to people. And then also that, you know, life is tough right now. We're all going through it. We're all experiencing it. And we, the food bank, all of our pantry partners, all of our volunteers at those pantries, we're here because we want to support you. You know, we want to support our community members. And, you know, it's our policy to, you know, serve anybody who's in need without judgment. And so at all of our pantries, you know, the standard is that it's a safe, welcoming environment. You know, I, I would just hope that people would go and check it out if you need it. There's there's no reason to stay at home and, and feel hungry when we have these resources out there. Is there anything else you'd like to add for those who are listening to this? Just to, you know, anybody who's out there and who's who's listening, again, want to emphasize what I said before about if you find yourself in a position where you do need a little bit of assistance to fill out kind of your pantry at home, please don't feel any shame or, you know, have any hesitation about coming to access our services. We are here to help. And, you know, we really care about protecting the privacy and the dignity of folks who are coming to access food. So that's really important. On the other side, I would say that if these are issues you care about. And I, and I hope that for, you know, most people who are listening, they do because food touches all of our lives. Look to find a way to get involved. You know, there are a lot of volunteer opportunities out there, you know, at pantries and, you know, even through the food bank. We also need folks who are out there in the community kind of advocating around these issues and who are talking to their friends and family and neighbors about what's going on and how they can support not just the food bank, but our entire community, our entire society in uh, getting to a place where hunger is not as big of an issue as it currently is. Look into what's going on legislatively. Is there policy you can advocate around, not just around food services, but around poverty generally? And measures like affordable housing really helps. There, there's a lot that people can do. You know, I just hope that folks will, will get involved in whatever capacity they feel able to. Well, that does it for this week's edition of Charlottesville Soundboard, your source for news, culture, and community issues in Central Virginia. My name's Mary Garner-McGee. Our producers this week are Omega Ilovich, Sadie Randall, Paige Waterhouse, and Ashley Park. Our theme song is Kyoja Beat by Moreno Lasco and Jay Pun. This is Charlottesville Soundboard.